0: Good morning. There we go. All right, so uh, I'm happy to start off kind of talking about this theme of grace that we are looking at for the following year, and to talk about first, why did we choose this theme, and, and what is grace specifically? I know we've heard Nick kind of give a definition here, um, and it's helpful when we think about grace to think of that in contrast to other, to other biblical themes of justice and mercy. Justice is getting what we deserve. And I think we're all a big fan of justice when it serves us well and not a fan of justice when it doesn't serve us well. Um, But that is what justice is. It's getting what we deserve. Mercy is the opposite of justice and mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace then is going beyond that one step further and it is getting what we do not deserve. So justice getting what we deserve, mercy not getting what we deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve. Uh, An example of this, I go back to my time in high school when I played guitar a lot more than I do now. And I had several guitars through high school because I was not as responsible as I am now and things tended to get broken. The first guitar I had, I sat behind my car and loaded the rest of my stuff into my car, never went back and got the guitar and backed over it. My second guitar that I had, I let a friend borrow it and they set it down up against the couch when they were done and stood up and it tipped over, and this must not have been a very well-built guitar because the neck just snapped as it fell over. Now in that moment, there were several ways that I could respond. I could respond in justice and say, hey, you broke my guitar. What you deserve is that you should buy me a new guitar or at least pay to get this one repaired, but it it was beyond repair. Justice would have been, you owe me a new guitar, mercy, which was the path that I chose Is hey, it's okay, I understand accidents happen, I'm not gonna make you pay for this, it's okay. What Grace would have said is, hey, I understand you wanna learn guitar, you don't have a guitar, instead of me just letting you off the hook for this, I'm gonna go ahead and buy you a new guitar. Even though you broke mine, I will go above and beyond to show grace to you. And that is when we're talking about grace, it's going above and beyond and showing grace to others. And the reason why we chose this theme is because we live in a day and age that everyone is fixated on self, proving our perspective, our opinion, or my favorite term, our truth, and showing how that truth is superior to anyone else's. This often leads to a lack of compassion, a lack of grace, and ultimately division that so characterizes our culture today. We see division in politics, in um, amongst race, gender, economic status, social status. Um, even in, in church, we so often see division amongst denominations and within beliefs. And we, we felt like this was a great time heading into 2024 to look at grace as something that unifies us, within our families, our churches and our communities. I think an example of how this plays out, I noticed over the weekend as we gathered for Christmas and large families come together and it's a tradition in our family that we sit down and we play games together. And the the favorite question is always, well, what game do you wanna play? And when you have about 15 people trying to decide what game they wanna play, there's gonna be some differences of opinions and half of our time together spent just having a conversation about what game do we want to play? Now, this conversation can go multiple ways. Someone can say, hey, I want to play UNO, and I could respond, that is so stupid. Who would want to play UNO? That's a children's game. You must be so simple-minded and just start attacking the other person for their choice of a game. And you should want to play something that's a little bit more intelligent, like Trivial Pursuit. That's that's an adult game. That would really challenge us to grow. And other people are, well, I want to play a video game. I want to play a fast-paced game. This game's too slow. And these are usually how these conversations go. It's kind of everyone trying to put their idea out. Now, sometimes we just end up getting into an argument because we're family. and That's what happens. Sometimes people will say, well, you can play that game, but I don't want to play, so I'm just going to sit over here and do my own thing. That's kind of that mercy. That's the middle of the road where you can sit there and just say, okay, it's okay. We're different. We're just going to agree to disagree and go our separate ways. But what we're really looking for is unity. And what unity does and what grace does is we step into someone else and we say, I understand where you're coming from and why this might be something that you enjoy, you prefer. And so I'm going to step into that with you. And even though I don't enjoy Uno, I'm going to sit down and play Uno with you. And that's what we're hoping is that in that picture, that's a unifying thing. It brings people together. And that's what we're hoping to accomplish by looking at grace is to instead of go into this year focusing on what divides us, to show grace to one another so that we, we can draw together. So we're going to look at grace through the lens of receiving grace for ourselves, and then grace in our families, in the church body, and in our community abroad. So I'm going to look at specifically receiving grace. And the reason we start with this is because we have to receive grace before we can give grace. And the first place where we receive grace as believers is from God. We're going to look at Ephesians 2, real briefly if you want to turn there, as this great picture of what it looks like to receive God's grace. And we're going to read verses 1 through 9 together. So Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9, if you would turn there. And I will read, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. This is a great passage when we think of the gospel and the truth of what God has done for us. And it starts out with us being dead. And this is the first part of rec of receiving grace is to just recognize our position, to recognize that we are dead before God in our sin. And there's nothing we can do of our own accord. We are in need of his grace. So first we must recognize our position. We can't think of ourselves more highly than we are. This is just being honest with ourselves. And once we can be honest with ourselves and recognize our position, the second step is to recognize that we need grace. It's one thing to say, I'm in a terrible position. I'm a sinner. And then to say, but I can fix myself. I can get better, I can pull myself together, pull myself up by my bootstraps. It's another thing to sit there and say, I'm a sinner, I'm in a terrible position, I need someone else's help, I need God's help. This is the person who says, I'll draw near to God before I take care of my sins because I need God to take care of my sins. So if we can be honest with ourselves, recognize our position, humble ourselves and accept the grace that God has received or God has given, then we can receive his grace in fullness. And so often in churches and even in my own heart, it's so easy to just say, I'm going to receive God's grace because I need that for salvation. And then I've got it. I got it from here. And and it's not what this passage says. It says that in the coming ages, he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace So it's not just you get grace when you're saved, it's you get grace when you are saved and every day afterwards he continues to provide his grace as we grow in what he has called us to. So we don't just need God's grace to save us from our sins and to save us from hell, we need his grace to walk every day of our life. Now as we talk about receiving grace, it's not just about receiving grace from God, but also being willing to receive grace from others And this is sometimes the harder part. It's really easy for us to be like, compared to God, I'm a worm. I am nothing. I need all the help I can get from God. But everyone else, we're kind of on the same playing field. Or if not, maybe I've got a little bit more together. Or at least I want people to think that way. However, we have to go through that same process when it comes to other people. Sometimes we need to be honest about our need to receive grace from one another. And then not only do we need to be honest about our need for grace from one another, but we need to be humble and accept our need. When we have struggles in our life or areas of shortcoming, the temptation can be really to hide these areas away and try to fix them and try to get it all together before we go out and and talk to people to be like, I want to have this great testimony that I can share of how God worked in my life, so I'm going to get it all taken care of before I just go and share what God has done. And I think we need to be willing to share with one another of our need for grace, to step out of our comfort zone and be willing to admit our need for grace. And then we also must be willing to receive grace when shown it from others. When we refuse grace, really it's nothing more than self-righteousness cloaked in false humility. That we, when we refuse others' help, others' offering of ways that they'll come alongside of us and think we can put it all together. It's thinking of ourselves more highly than we are and really having this false idea of who we are. It's saying things like, I'm better than this. I can take care of it. I don't need to receive grace from others. I can do this by myself. And that's one thing that we're going to talk about, especially next week in Sunday school, as we think through this idea of what does it look like to receive grace, When we're able to receive grace from God and from others, it puts us in a position to show grace to others. So that is what we're going to look at now as we move from receiving grace to discuss the concept of showing grace within our families. And Tim's going to come up and discuss that portion of our theme for the year.
1: Thank you, David. I want to read a statement by uh, Ken Sandy who wrote a long time ago and has revised the Peacemaker series, you maybe have heard about that in Conflict Resolution, we're going to be using some of that this year too as we get specific about relationships with people and especially as we take a couple minutes and think about in our families. He says that understanding God's word is an essential ingredient of wisdom which is the ability to apply God's truth to life's complexities. Having wisdom does not mean that you understand all of God's ways. It means that you respond to life in God's way. The better you know the Bible, the wiser you will be, and the more effectively you will be able to deal with conflict. And we can easily agree that within the context of the family, that's our chief area of conflict, perhaps, you know, on a daily basis or opportunity for conflict on a daily basis. And there's something about, being with our family, and David gave his, his example of the Christmas thing. There's something different about relationships within family and as opposed to every other relationship outside the family. And so that's an area that um, we really have to address in our lives. And once we're believers, we live by this new standard that God has called us to. And I want us to go flip over to Ephesians 5, Now, we didn't collude on any of this preparation at all, so I always find it interesting when four of us are going to speak how God will tie it all together in his way. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, we'll read to begin with, Therefore, and we can say therefore, because of what we read in the previous chapters, what David previously read about grace and grace extended to us, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Skip on down to verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it moves on into the next section about wives and husbands followed by children and parents, slaves and masters. All these relationships within the home are vitally important to work on, resolve conflict, and um, honor God with all of it. I believe if we can do that well in the home, the rest of when we talk about within the church, within our communities, The rest of it will be much easier because the intensity relationship in the home is unlike any other. So part of this is talking about conflict resolution. It's easy to say, well, extend grace. And the thing about grace, and it's going to be really important to remember this as we go forward, is that grace is not without boundaries. It's not without standards. It's not without expectations. Okay, we're not, we're not taking some meek and mild view of grace and we just were walked on and we're just a carpet for everybody to use. That is not what we're saying. And so keep that in mind as we go forward. This will become evident when we, we talk about what grace really looks like. Grace does not affirm sin. We, af- we can affirm our love for people that we want to extend them grace when they don't deserve it, but it doesn't affirm sin. Galatians 5 says, The fruit of the Spirit, which we are to embody, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's a pretty tall order, is it not? So this is what grace looks like. We can talk about it theoretically, but these are the manifestations within our families that we should see all of these things as we work on them. So maybe a thought just came to me. Um, Maybe it's a good time to think about this as we talk about this this morning and think, you know, this is my chief struggle in my home, myself, whatever inward battle... I'm really going to work on that this year, and I'm going to pray God will work through this year to help me conquer that area that seems to be a stumbling block in my relationship with my family. How about that? There's your challenge for today for me, and I will do the same. So we see that even in Colossians uh, 3, it talks about husbands and wives. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them talks about fathers not creating bitterness in your children by how you treat them. These are very important things. And we all know, can think of people or situations or the fact that a family can look pretty good on the outside and be a mess on the inside. And what we want is truth. We want to live truth. As David said, if we struggle within our families, have someone come alongside us. It's okay. Be transparent to that degree about it but be who you are at home in the church and in the community, consistently working on conflict resolution, walking in the fruits of the spirit so that God might be glorified through all of this. And that's really the point, so that people might see Christ in us. And I'll close with this other quote from Ken Sandy. He says, when displaying the riches of God's love and pleasing him is more important than holding on to worldly things and pleasing yourself, it becomes increasingly natural to respond to conflict graciously, wisely, and with self-control.
2: So I'm going to look at grace and how it is lived out within the church, within the fellowship, within this fellowship of believers. And we can look at the New Testament epistles, and they give us lots of very clear, actionable commands, exhortations, in the form of lots and lots of one another passages. Um, We can see with all these one another's, we can see that Christian faith isn't lived out in a vacuum. It's lived out in community. Um, Here's just a little bit of that. Avalanche of one another's uh, Romans twelve ten. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Romans twelve sixteen. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Galatians, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Ephesians four thirty two. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Thessalonians, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. Hebrews 10.25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, this next one here's the one i think that makes all these other one another's go it's the idea of bearing with one another ephesians 4 2. i therefore a prisoner for the lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace So we love one another, we serve one another, we're kind to one another, we submit to one another, encourage one another. But it's this idea of bearing with one another that um, I think holds the other ones together. It's only when we maintain relationship that we can do anything to one another. Um, Just staying in relationship with a person even though it is a burden to bear. So you might think of um, that type of relationship as the, uh, as the marriage relationship ought to be, or as a parent-child relationship ought to be. It just is. You commit to something greater than yourself, than your own personal pleasure and satisfaction. And that's how you persevere through long periods of maybe emotional drought or prolonged conflict or daily annoyance, like we talked about in the family. It just means I will seek that restoration of our relationship and extend forgiveness however long it takes it's okay not going anywhere and there shouldn't be any threats of abandonment or withholding affection we know it's the best thing you can do for your children for your spouse and it's something we all long for bearing with one another is kind of the we talked about this a little bit already it's the opposite of our default setting which is to break relationship that's how we punish others, we can move on. I'm done with that guy, right? Not worth the effort. And I would say that's the dominant philosophy, the dominant worldview of the world we live in. I have no unchosen obligations. I'm just this self-interested loan entity. I engage in exchanges, contracts, whether they're economic, official contracts, or just relational, unstated contracts. I agree to do this, I agree to pay this much, And if it's not paying off, I'm out. Just read about that philosophy in an article in Politico, why Washington's elites are so miserable. And the scholar points to the idea of real friends and deal friends. And of course, what abounds in Washington, DC deal friends, right? Just a bunch of people that are cozying up to the powerful in order to increase their own status. And if all you have are deal friends, writes this author, just people that are useful to you, you're going to be lonely. And here's the quote from the article. According to Aristotle, modern uh, social psychologists, common sense, and your grandma, they will all tell you that you need people who are useless to you, that you just love. So, we see useless, right, in the very positive sense, people that you're not using to get something else. Useless. So, and I thought... You know, from a, from a non-Christian, I thought that was a pretty good definition of showing grace. Useless people that you just love. Maybe a better description of that would be from my favorite uh, theologian to steal from is uh, German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He writes extensively on the life of the church in his book, Life Together. And he also describes um, the basis for our relationship in church. He says we're united through our relationship to Jesus Christ and nothing else. That's the thing we have in common. And I'm paraphrasing here, but um, it's easy to think, wouldn't it be nice to have more people that are just like me? And that's transactional. That's human love. It's not supernatural. It's a relationship where I get something from it. You know, this person's fun and entertaining or whatever it is. And you're tempted to sort of form maybe an elite group of your own choosing. And if you do form that, that's not the body of Christ with all the parts working together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer didn't say this, but I'm saying this. It's like a big pile of, you know, left pinkies, and that's gross. So so when we commit to bearing one another, this makes us different than the world outside, and it's a testimony to the truth of the gospel if we behave in this very countercultural way. You can apply this. uh, um, Individual relationships, we might think of it, that way most of the time, but just understand that in the same way that we accept the spiritual reality of our own salvation, it's true, it's real, even though each one of us here is a very imperfect manifestation of that reality of who we are in Jesus Christ. In the same way, understand that the church, this church, is the body of Christ. It's a fellowship of believers, believers united through all eternity, even though what you're looking at is a very Imperfect physical manifestation of that, right? Maybe we don't see all the one another passages happening, right? We just see we have this morning worship service and then we make some awkward small talk and, you know, go out for lunch. Um, But when we're tempted to, I guess, be maybe a critic of the fellowship, when we're tempted to have this kind of grand vision of what a church ought to be like and with all the, you know, you can go on YouTube and see all kinds of neat things that other churches are doing, easy to do. Um, just accept this fellowship as it is. Just accept it as a relationship that just is, like like a family relationship, and that you're part of it. So that's the, the glue I see there. Bear with one another, useless people that you just love.
3: And speaking of... Fair enough. I'll accept that. Thanks, Trent. At least he loves me. We'll take that. <laughs> All right. So we're, we're working our way outward uh, in our focus on grace. First, we talked about ourselves, uh, then our families, and then the church. And now we're going to look more, more towards your community. Specifically, uh, when we're talking about the community, we're, we're going to be looking at displaying grace towards the unbeliever. Because when you think about it in a broader sense, if they are a believer, they are part of the broader church, right? Uh, So the manner in which we extend grace to an unbeliever will look different in some ways than maybe how we extend grace to a believer. In many ways, there's going to be some overlaps, but there will be some differences. So continuing on in Ephesians, since that seems to be our theme today, looking at Ephesians 4.17 to the end of the chapter. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to be put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away every falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let your son go down on the anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good as for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Because an unbeliever has yet to receive the free gift of grace, as David um, mentioned and as described above, uh, we cannot have the same expectations for an unbeliever as we would a believer who has already accepted that free gift of grace. For example, some time ago, I worked with a gentleman for anonymity's sake. We'll say his name was Fred. Uh, Fred was very openly an unbeliever. Uh, He's a proud Army vet who was very coarse around the edges and seemed to believe a sentence was not complete without a four-letter word or two in it. Uh, I think we've all maybe met such a person. Uh, I worked alongside Fred for some time. One day as we were Talking about weekend plans, I told him I was going to be coming to our church here to work on some project. I'm not sure which one, but anyways, because Fred had this background in carpentry and he had done some work in carpentry, we had a little bit of common ground. So we discussed that topic, whatever it was, and I showed him kind of some pictures that I had taken ahead of time to try to plan and prepare. And he seemed very interested, and so I I allowed the opportunity. I said, "Hey, you know what? If you ever want to, you come see it." come. Our church is at 1030. You're welcome to come join us for church, if you like, and see it in person. At which point, Fred started to respond. I can remember his he, memory. He's looking at me, and he goes, you know, and he stopped, and he paused, and he just sat there and shook his finger for a second, and he said, Nate, I have a lot of respect for you, so I'm not going to say to you what I would told others who have told me or tried to get me to go to church, but no. Curiosity gets the best of me. Um, it's One of my challenges sometimes. So I said, How would you have responded to others? I'm curious. (laughs) He quickly responded with a very profanity laden version of no, that included with a few threats against me, should I invite him again? I said, okay, fair. And I said, Well, the invitation still stands. Should you ever change your mind? And he simply responded, no. So Had he responded to my invitation with that second response, his initial response, what he wanted to respond, my extension of grace would look vastly different to him than if I were to, say, invite Nick to D group and he respond in such a manner. Because Nick has, well, first off, he's our pastor, but also he has received that free gift of grace, and he understands what that gift of grace is. So my, my extension of grace would look different because I have a higher expectation for Nick than I would of Fred again because the believer is yet to receive the free gift of grace as described in Ephesians 2 we cannot have those same expectations so how do we extend grace to an unbeliever I think this was in uh, back to what David said earlier here find my notes so it's a it's a gift we do not deserve and it's going above and beyond what is expected But then at the same time, like Tim Tim said, grace is not without boundaries or without expectations. So we have to guard ourselves as well as when we are extending that grace. In a short article written by Pastor Craig Etheridge, he offers four ways that we can extend grace to others and non-believers. He writes, some practical ways we can extend God's grace to others are to extend forgiveness, extend encouragement, extend a helping hand, and to extend the hope of the gospel. So over the next 40 to 45 minutes, I'd like to unpack these ideas for practical extensions of grace. Again, extend forgiveness, extend encouragement, extend a helping hand, and to extend the hope of the gospel. And yeah, I did say 45 minutes. I won't take that long. However, again, Sunday school, we'll be unpacking all these ideas in Sunday school over the next week, starting at 9.15, where each of us elders will each take a week over the month of January work our way through it together, um, unpacking these ideas, starting with David, working our way out just like we did today. So as Trent read earlier, uh, bearing with one another is a big part of that. And so bearing with the unbeliever, standing beside them. uh, Back to the passage we read earlier, and Trent also read, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we need to extend that forgiveness for those of you who uh, have little ones at home like this. There's a song that comes to mind by Suggs, Slugs and Bugs. If you haven't heard it, let me know. I can let, play it for you afterwards. But it is just that. It is be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. By forgiving others like Christ forgave us, we put gr- God's grace on display for the world to see. They see that there's something different in us. Extending encouragement. Back to Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. By using our words to build others up and not tear them down, we extend grace for those who hear them. It sets us apart when we don't engage in the idle gossip of others, but we encourage others. We build them up. Extend a helping hand. As Tim, Tim read earlier, Ephesians 5.1-2, One and two, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave us up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God has given us each unique gifts and talents that we can and should be used for his glory. When we properly use these God-given gifts, we imitate the love of Christ and extend grace to the recipient of said help. Finally, extending the hope of the gospel. Back to what David opened with in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have been given a magnificent gift, and we are called to share that gift. Perfect for the Christmas season as we're closing and looking towards the new year ahead. We can extend God's grace to others by simply telling them what Jesus has done for us and how they can come to know him personally. Let's close in prayer as we prepare for our last and final song. Father God, uh, this year draws to a close and we reflect upon the year passed, and we look forward to the year to come. We pray that you equip us to extend our grace, to receive it ourselves, to extend it to our families, our church, and our communities. And may we as a church not be conformed to this world, but be set apart and known as a church filled with grace. And it's in your great name we pray. Amen.